You'll be investigating thieves, misers, bullies, the most detestable collection of people I ever meet. My podcast co-host, The Girl Dragon Tattoo, coming up next. Haven't seen it with Tim Sestito and Tommy Tevenay. Hello, everybody. Welcome on in. Thank you all so much for listening today. This is a podcast where one of us is watching a movie for the very first time. And I believe this is both of us. Yeah, never seen this movie. Uh, Never seen this movie. Uh, You know, it's Fincher Month. The the killer is coming out uh, later this weekend. It's already out in theaters. Uh, Can I just say I'm very disappointed. It got with Netflix. Um, Not doing right from what I hear by this movie. Uh, My cousin saw it. He texted me about it. The the killer said like he was so glad he saw it in a theater. He felt like it just really added to that experience. And then I checked and there is literally zero theaters in the state of Tennessee showing the killer. And I'm like, gosh, like, damn, like I really want to see that in theaters. But and I have not purchased a netflix subscription after they decided to stop uh, stop allowing sharing to kind of stick it to them so maybe i'm uh, still finding ways around that um it's it's weird uh with my netflix thing because i use my mom's netflix it got blocked in my roku but it was working on my xbox and now it's the other way around where my uh roku is uh working but my xbox is blocked but regardless yeah like you're saying like we talked before about how like the theatrical experience is so important like you know you see a movie and you know, like I saw Halloween on the big screen uh, for Halloween weekend. I've seen this movie hundreds wow. of times, and seeing it on the big screen was fucking terrifying. It really adds to the experience. So the fact that I'm gonna probably gonna be watching The Killer for the first time in my apartment is a little disappointing in a way. He, where like so, he... so just to add on to that, I saw uh, Psycho in theaters on Halloween. I took uh, Emily to the Franklin Theater to go see it, and. Uh, she absolutely loved it. She knew nothing about it going in outside of like the kill scene, the shower scene, every because yeah. everybody knows that. Yeah. Um, and just like the the you know, the this the dual personality split like persona, like she that twist like kind of blew her mind at the end. Like she did not know that yeah. was coming or see it was see that it was coming. So um, and and you're right. And then like uh, uh, Tommy, one of my key thoughts of the girl with the dragon tattoo was Wow, I regret not going to go see this in theaters in 2011 because yeah. <laughs> this would have like it was great on my TV, but it would have hit a lot harder and better if I oh, saw it in a theater. A hundred percent. I mean, it's just one of those things that you go to back and over and over and over again, um, where it's just like it adds so much more to us. I mean, the, the opening title sequence alone in this movie would have been yeah. incredible to see in the big screen. Um, it was it was Bond-esque, you know, just in terms of, like, all the visuals and stuff. Like, it didn't have, like, the girls and, like, all that stuff. But it was, it had that kind of, like, presence. And speaking of Bond, James Bond is in this movie as Daniel Craig. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, I know we touched on the movies we saw in theaters. We typically just do a little recap of what we've seen recently. Did you see anything else besides Halloween, which we covered last year? Go check out that episode if, with the Cody Tucker show, who he's doing really well on uh, Instagram with his uh, reels. Yeah, he's doing pretty great. But uh, yeah, also, we covered Psycho uh, just last week, if you have been following. So check out that, too. But uh, recently, I decided I uh, watched... Um, Mad Max Fury Road um, for the Film Trace podcast. I was guesting on their uh, podcast. Go check them out. That episode should be coming out soon. And this is the first time I ever rewatched Mad Max Fury Road. I saw it in theaters back in 2015. Oh, what amazing theatrical experience. And, you know, like we were just talking, it's still held up, though. Um, oh, yeah. On the home viewing. You know, I because I put off rewatching it for years and years because I was like, I need to go see it again on the big screen. That's the only way I can watch this movie. And this time I was like, all right, you know, I can't obviously find a random film screen in the Mad Max Fury Road before uh, I guess on this podcast. So I'm just going to go for it. And I was really happy to revisit it. Just such an amazing world. George Miller just really knows just like how to drop you in the middle of a fucking scene. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I, and like, I, I don't want to take away from like, I'm not shitting on just watching movies at home. Um, I've actually really found that I 
like because the way the streaming services work is they compress the files so that way you can stream it so mm. like the picture quality will go in and out um is kind of a big one for me like when i watch a movie like when we did mulholland drive like i had the blu-ray so i put the blu-ray in when i mm. did that i found that the quality is just so much better like it's not theatrical but it's close enough to it uh, i found with the streaming services i find the buffering issues but yeah mad max it still holds up it's just it's an unbelievable movie and i believe furiosa is coming out in um next within year. the next year yeah within the next year or so so i'm really curious to see how it's going to happen if it was like a one trick phony for um you know the george, george miller he's a he he knows what he's doing uh yeah I, I think it'll be good. <laughs> it took like it's taking taken nine years for the sequel to come out. So like, I'm sure there's going to be a production hell story to yeah. just come out about that one. Just um, like there was for Fury Road. <laughs> I saw the Disney's The Haunted Mansion, uh, the the new one, mm. and it was a movie that happened. <laughs> so uh, that, that's your it was it was fine I, I guess it was kind like the coolest part was that like compared to the eddie murphy one which i'm struggling to remember but with this one there is a lot more homages to the ride and like there there's just a lot of sequences that felt like it but ultimately it just felt like another kind of cash grab name for disney to try to like make money off of which they didn't uh, they also released it in July instead of October, which is like uh, legitimately boggles my mind in terms of maybe the worst release date scheduling I've I've ever heard. Like they I, I released it a week after Barbie and Oppenheimer. Yeah. Uh, 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 the Haunted Mansion, which is just like, oh, this is like a light family, like horror movie we'll get in the Halloween spirit. And they released it in July. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, uh, the more and more I think about it, it's just really that they only really cared about like getting us on Disney Plus in time for uh, October. Yeah, that was what but, was most important. But it's it's almost like they would have made probably they probably would have made their money back on the thing because I you know the one thing I'm I'm curious about in the fallout of like the Barbie Oppenheimer of like people that you know that don't that aren't like film buffs being like yeah I actually went to the movies for the first time since COVID or whatever going like oh like that was like a great experience like i enjoyed that like are people maybe taking steps back into the theaters for for other stuff and that feels like a movie that might have played better because i wouldn't say it was bad it just wasn't personally for me right yeah so, it, uh, it just seemed like it was a typical family film i mean i'm sure it's better than eddie murphy film <laughs> yeah I, I don't remember the eddie murphy one at all i saw that when i was like yeah i saw that in theaters <laughs> whenever that came out yeah I, I think my by my parents' house, there's still the we still have the DVD of it somewhere. But that talk about collecting dust, yeah, <laughs> uh, that's that's sitting there. Uh, you know, it, it ultimately wasn't for me. I didn't, you know, outside of like very annoying product placement stuff that just didn't like just didn't. They they kept saying these brand names when they're communicating with ghosts, being like, "I picked up a pen and paper from CVS. Why don't you write on it?" I'm like, "You didn't need to include." cvs and you're talking to a ghost from the 1700s he doesn't know what a pen is he knows what quill and ink blatant <laughs> is which is that's fine like i i don't that i don't but like those having it like it was just always constantly saying these things and then there was one where they get burger king they're eating in a car ride back and it it was literally just about uh crunchy jalapeno chips or something like that and like that was the point of the scene it added nothing it was just straight product placement i was warned about it it was really bad though and i don't mind product placement because it's usually usually good films can make it organic and it's just kind of in the background or it's a little tongue-in-cheek like arrested mm. development always did that with the burger king ones mm. uh during the second season uh where, where like they needed these big sponsors so they just made such a big deal about it being at burger king right and like wink wink nod nod um yeah but yeah i i felt like it was fine it was i don't ever need to see it again but it was uh if someone enjoyable <laughs> it was it's an enjoyable one for the family you, you you know if you have little kids they'll enjoy it for sure um but yeah in terms of stark tonal contrast from disney trademark the haunted mansion uh this is the girl 
with the dragon tattoo. I need a research assistant. I know an excellent one. But she's different. Uh, in what way? In every way. She's had a rough life. Can we not make it any rougher? Elizabeth, I want you to help me catch a killer of women. They say I'm insane. Why would you want to know about such an awful murder? It interests me. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Rated R. In theaters everywhere December 21st. So, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, it was that book that everyone read at the beach in the summer of 2009. Now, I'd never read the book. Um, if And just in terms of the movie, I'm very surprised this was a, a beach read because there's a lot of like pretty graphic, intense sexual kinks, which I, I know like uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, but like that was like a porn book. So like I think people like knew what it was. Like, yeah. This is like a thriller. It's not like an erotic novel or nothing about it should be erotic. Well, believe me, so, nothing, nothing, about, it, nothing about yeah. that should, should be erotic about what goes on in this movie. No, um, I mean, they, sometimes it is like one of those things with like beach reads where beach reads end up being like kind of like fucked up murder mysteries or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I feel I, it almost makes me want to read, excuse me, read the book. Because I felt like Fincher was, ab- if, if I'm taking the movie, at least the, the beats and the plot points being um, pretty one to one. I know books and stuff are uh, adept. I felt like Fincher is definitely the right guy to adapt that. Um, you know, I would say the biggest strength for this is the pacing of it. it it's a long movie. It's three hours. It does not feel its runtime at all. And I would no. say in contrast to Killers of the Flower Moon, where it's like, didn't feel its runtime, but it felt long. Like this didn't really feel long, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean the, the pacing was great and like the character reveals and all, all that stuff. And it's crazy to think in this movie that you don't see Daniel Craig and Rooney Mara, the two leads of this movie, together in a scene until like midway through the movie. Probably like an hour and like fifteen or something like that into the movie. Yeah, it's uh, I think it, it yeah, it's like right before the the halfway point of the movie. Um hmm. so if you don't know, and just to simplify the plot down, um Daniel's Craig's character Mikal uh, is a journalist who was recently discredited for uh, publishing against this wealthy businessman, um, a different businessman whose family kind of built the industry in Sweden, uh, reached out to him to come write a biography of, of his life. It was played by Christopher Plummer, who was it's uh, so good. It, it was giving me a little bit of a. What, knives, knives out, out vibes. Knives out vibes. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, for the original one, uh, I wonder. You know, a lot of directors will have like film and like lists of film influences that they use, and mm-hmm. it would almost make me want to uh, go back and and rewatch Knives Out and see if there's any like sequences because they're totally very different. But like, you took Daniel Craig, put him as your lead, as your investigator, and you had Christopher Plummer as like the patriarch of the family uh there but daniel craig goes and is investigate is actually there to investigate a murder of a family member from over 40 years ago and then we follow um elizabeth uh who rooney mara plays um we follow her life and then how he needs an assistant she comes into the story because she had done the background search on him before this family hired him um, and that's kind of the general synopsis of it. There's a lot that goes on in the first like 40 minutes before that even happens. Um, specifically with Elizabeth, um, I actually really, it, it's so nice when a movie just like lets you just understand who these characters are. Uh, yeah. And, and just like takes its time with it and get an understanding of, of who they are, what motivates the- them, what drives them. The introduction to her character alone, I think, is like one of the best character introductions I've seen in a movie in a while. Where you know, it's the introduction of like you know, um, her employer talking about her to like uh, his like one of his clients being like, Yeah, so this is a person that like you know, we don't really want um, to be in the office. I prefer for her to work from home because she's not really great with people and stuff like that. I mean, there's pounding music going on now while she's 
you're hitting, you're seeing the silhouette of Rooney Mara walking in. She's just like. 80s punk style, like yeah. full on mohawk, like goth, or everything like that. Insane looking. She walks in and just like, here's the fucking character. Here you go. Boom. And her performance, I think, in this movie really drives it. She is just incredible in this role. I mean, this is a book that has been adapted uh, ad- um, adapted before. Yeah, there's a, Swedish a Swedish, movie. there's a Swedish film of it. Yeah. And uh, Naomi Repeats, who's been like Prometheus, and she ended up having a thing. And she, I'm, I'm sure she was fine in the movie. But I always felt like the vibe from that film she like series for me. I've never seen I've never seen it, so I can't like I don't want to speak on it. And I also feel like I don't know anything about the Swedish film industry, Swedish film directors. Like typically with international films, they have their own style, their own pace that are just different compared Mm -hmm. to you know Hollywood and US films. Yeah. Uh, so I I would have to watch it to really say like oh like it probably it's probably just it's probably just a significantly different movie um, yeah because you know part of my thought was almost like they gave it because it's it's very weird with Fincher because he's coming out the Social Network that was 2010 mm-hmm. um, adapted with um, what's the guy the West Wing guy oh uh, Aaron Sorkin Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. Uh, you know, which is considered one of the 10 best films of the last decade, which uh, and then he comes into this and then it's this, you know, if and my impression of it was it was that beach read mm. book. So I didn't really like at the time I never read it, so I didn't feel the need to get to, to go see it. So I kind of when it starts off, I'm kind of like, OK, like, where is it going? And then, like, once I kind of got into it, I had the thought of, like, what does this movie look like with, like, if they just throw, like, a studio guy on it? You know, like, a guy who he can make a fine movie. Like, I, I, I don't even know the names, but, like, they're the guy. They're, they're the guys that just kind of shovel you're, you're up. John, and, you're John Turtletop or whatever. The guy yeah, 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 like Brett, that. Up, yeah. Rat, up Rat Ratner, just, like, one yeah. of those guys, like, that just kind of sh- yeah, shovel, shovel it out shovel out the schlock um because like i like i can't imagine like i I was stunned when i saw that this movie grossed 232 million on a 90 million dollar budget because i was like i was like this movie had to have lost money like it's this beach read and i guess it was just a different time in terms of like watching movies because like the netflix streaming like was just kind of getting its footing but it wasn't on t you know it was on your computer mostly it wasn't on tv um so people going to go see it like it, you know it, ma- it makes sense in that um in that regard because it's it's one of those things where it's like if this was the book that came out in 2018 right mm. there's no way people are going to see the girl the, the three-hour cut of the the girl with the dragon tattoo for there there's a very schlocky version of this movie that could have been made i mean like, oh we yeah definitely uh, in the wake of this movie, we've seen a ton of like you know murder mysteries that like end up coming out that were very similar. Like I remember seeing the girl on the train, which was like a similar murder. Oh mystery. yes, yeah. And that was uh, just like God, like that was not that good. I was like, oh, okay. I, I, I also, um, I also felt I, I personally have a grudge when it's just like the what's the character's main deficit? Oh, she's a drunk, so she can't remember what happens to her. And yeah, I always find that's like I. Just kind easy of cop out that. right there. <laughs> I feel like that's just easy cop out instead of like clever, inventive storytelling. Yeah. Well, um, um you'll you like this. They, they didn't end up making an um like kind of a sequel slash reboot of this in 2018 because apparently this didn't do well enough for Sony. Sony pretty much pitched this movie to Fincher, like, here's this book. Fincher, you can make your own franchise for adults, because like, you know, at the time, yeah, you, you know. Even 2011, superhero movies were just starting, but it was like really most franchises were just like kid movies. And, you know, this is a book that, um, book series, and there's like three books written. Yeah, there's two other books. There's, yeah, two other books written by Steve Larson. Steve Larson actually had a heart attack before this first book came out, and then they just went off his manuscripts from there. But, um, you know, the pitch of the picture, here's like your franchise, like you you can make this into like three movies. And we could have easily seen like adaptations of the second and third books with Rooney Mara, with Daniel Craig, but apparently this didn't do well enough for Sony for them to do it. And it's kind of really tragic because I would have loved to see more of both these characters. But anyways. Yeah, they, oh, um, absolutely. And it's one of those where it's like, I don't know, it's an R-rated. Yeah. It's an R-rated movie that like, 
gave you some kind of profit. Like it, it's not because I was always kind of surprised. I was like, and that was part of the reason why I didn't think this did that well financially. Um, mm-hmm. And then especially after seeing it, because not because it's a it, it's a great movie, but it's it's not for casual audiences. It's a it, it sometimes is a rough watch, not in terms of like bad, but like in terms of like content. dark material, dark yeah, material. Content. So yeah, part of getting to know Elizabeth's character, um, she's an orphan. She has um, a, a guardian, even though she's above age. She's had drug issues, drinking issues, so she has a guardian who controls her finances. He has a stroke, and then she has to go to the state now on an allowance, and the guy. Um, you know, abuses his power at first, uh, requesting a, a, a blowjob from her. Um, mm-hmm. And then the second time when she needs more money, um, he rapes her. And it's, it, it's, it's, vicious. it's, vi- I literally texted you when I was watching that scene being like, this is brutal. Like it was like, it, it made my stomach churn, like, which is the appropriate reaction, but it was, mm-hmm. it was very visceral and very, very dark. And then she gets her revenge where she goes, yeah, I am insane. And tattoos on his body. I'm a rapist pig. Uh, and yeah. ties him up. Uh, yeah. It's it's really just visceral in, uh, in a way that just feels like skin crawling, realistic. I mean, like, you know, the actor who played him wasn't like stereotypical, like, oh, like I'm a creep like, or whatever like that. Yeah. It felt more so just very like fuck this is probably what happens to so many people and, and shit like that people just abusing their power yeah and, and it's not like this guy was in some ultra powerful ceo he was like like a state he's like a, a state a government official like middle level government official who you know allocates funds to people that that are getting a state you know getting their money through the state programming and can't afford it you know under like a a a guardianship like uh the one that britney spears was on with her father yeah, yeah. that's that's probably the, the similar equation because it, it is set in sweden it, it takes all that in everybody just speaks english instead of swedish yeah. which is uh daniel craig just decided uh i'm not going to do a swedish accent whatsoever <laughs> he, i respect i respect yeah that. like he respects it because he's probably like i'm gonna do a terrible swedish accent i mean rooney mara she is great in this movie but her accent I wouldn't say it's Swedish, really. It goes in between, like, different yeah. like, dialects. <laughs> and, and for me, doesn't bother me. Robin Wright tries no. to do a Swedish accent, and it was, like, fine. It was fine. Yeah. It, it wasn't great. Um, But, you know, I, I'm i personally... That was, like, um the last duel, because Ridley Scott, Napoleon, coming out this Thanksgiving. Mm. Very excited to go see it in theaters. Mm. But... They, um, you know, his last movie, The Last Duel, that was another criticism because it was it was between the War of the Five Roses. You had French and English and like you had Ben Affleck and Matt Damon and like neither of them did an accent. And people were very critical of that. And I'm like, I don't really want to hear them do. I don't want to hear Ben Affleck do. Like, I thought they were I thought it was a good movie. I thought they had they was fun. Uh, I thought they were both pretty good in it. Um, and I'm just like, yeah, I'm really glad they didn't do the accent or maybe i'm misremembering i i don't know well because you know, sometimes the movies they could just take you out of the movie where it's just like oh this is god awful i mean rooney mara i mean she does do an accent like i said even though it does like switch, uh, switch between sometimes like different dialects it didn't take me out of the movie and didn't really make it but daniel craig it's like whatever fine cool daniel craig just his movie star persona you can just say whatever you kind of had to laugh though where like you know rooney mara for this role had to go through so much shit she got piercings like uh all over her fucking face nose or fucking nipples even she sounds like really uh, kind of painful and shit. And Daniel Craig's like, you know what? I'm just not going to do an accent. I my take is that this guy's going to uh, I'm going to gain a little bit of weight. That's all I'm going to do for this role. <laughs> yeah, I'm just not going to have the Bond six pack for this one. Um, yeah. Oh, do you want to hear a? So, do you know anything about Rooney Mara and Kate Mara? I know that uh, their dad owns like the Giants, right? <laughs> no, so 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 it's not their dad. So. And funny enough, Rooney Mara's name is, I think it's a stage name. Uh, so one of the Mara family, the Mara family owns the New York Giants, if you're not aware. And the Rooney mm-hmm. family owns the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, so Rooney Mara, right? Um, mm-hmm. You're not. They have a rider in every movie that they are, Kate and Rooney Mara. They have a rider that says, if the Super Bowl 
is going on and either the Steelers or the Giants are in the Super Bowl, like you, you were shutting down production because I'm I'm not missing the Super Bowl. And, you know, this came out in 2011. I'm thinking film 2010-ish, maybe into early 2011-ish. Do you know who played in the Super Bowl that year? The Giants? No, they, well, they, the 2011-2012 was the Giants. That was the Packers-Steelers. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm wondering, I, like, couldn't find when it was exactly, like, the filmed, film timeline, um, but I like I had that thought. I was like, "Damn, I wonder." I feel. I wonder, I feel I like wonder if she. Sh- I wonder if she shut down production. I don't think that she had enough power back then to get away with something like that. Because uh, I mean, like, a, no, but it's a, ri- it's a rider. It's a rider. Well, well, no, no, I, I get that, but I, I think that at the time, like you know, Finch would have been like, "Fuck you, get off, fuck my set or something like that." But because Rudy Mara at the time, I mean, like, really, what she was mostly known for was her like what brief opening scene in the Social Network from the year before. And for someone like me, she was the lead actress in the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, and she wasn't great in that movie. And that movie was awful too. So I mean, like this is her breakout role. She had to fight through so many fucking actresses just to get this role. I mean, like we had this is a role when they announced that they're going to do this movie, and uh, Fincher was going to be directing it. Every fucking actress in Hollywood wanted to get that role. I was like, you know, young actress. So in yeah. Hathaway auditions, Scott Johansson, Keira Knightley, Jennifer Lawrence. Natalie Portman, Elliot Page, Kristen Stewart, all auditioned, and Rooney Mara was the one that somehow was able to jump through all the hoops. Fincher would tell her stuff like, oh, like you need to go out and get wasted so we can see how you look like strung out. And she would do it. And he'd be like, oh, fuck, I, I, I gotta do it. Because he was thinking, Erica Albright, the character she played in Social Network, is more of like a preppy kind of person. Yeah. Very different from this. And he's like, I don't know if I see her as Elizabeth Slander. But she kept on going through all these different challenges and hoops for Fincher. And more and more, he's like, fuck, she's the person for the role. And it's great that she's in this role. Because if you had someone like those A-listers I was mentioning earlier, and halfway takes it out, It takes it out of yeah. it. Because Rooney Mare is like your BC tier, you know, like like mm-hmm. in terms of like status. Like at this time, probably BA, maybe now more C tier, but like uh, C list, excuse me, but not not in terms of her acting quality, just in terms of like status. But like Anne mm. Hathaway's been like A list since she's come up. Yeah. Um, Jennifer Lawrence, interesting. Um, I feel like she's almost just. I think she's a great actress. I think a lot of times she, um, falls into similar, like witty, characters. You know what I mean? Like that's a little more quippy. Yeah, her greatest strength is her humor. I feel like. And yeah, like I think she, a... I, I think she pulls that humor card off really well. Um, I, I, I like, I'm like, like I actually think Anne Hathaway would have done a great job in this role. Um, I just think that like, but you would have seen it and have been like, yeah, there's Anne Hathaway. That's this Anne Hathaway. Yeah, um, and it's great in this movie when you get introduced to, um, you know, Elizabeth Slander. It's this actress that like. Maybe if you're like a film buff like you and me, like you would have been like, oh, that's the girl from the social network. But like most people would be like, I don't even know if I would have, I don't even know if I would have recognized it because it's such a disappearance in the Hmm. role. Like I I feel like her, you know, she's, she has a very European face. um, Hmm. And I I feel like that kind of comes through. Like when you look at the movie poster, when you just kind of look at her, like I feel like that that really comes through. Um, I just, I can't. I like I, it, I after seeing this, it's hard to picture any other you know well-known actress doing this. Like those people that you listed off, like I, I, I just I I can't picture. It. I can understand why anybody would want the role, and it speaks Ooh. to Fincher as a director because, like, nothing about this role is like overly like oh this is just gonna be nice easy you know performance. Ooh. Like she's there's a lot of nudity from her shown um, makeup piercings is like very unique hairstyling, right. That, that most conventional actresses would not, you know, wear. Um, so it, you know, it's, it just speaks a lot to the quality of Fincher's work that, that people are just like, no, I'll, I'll do anything to work with you. Like I don't care. Um, and again, it's like, yeah, if, if we had a Brett Ratner doing this, who's, who's playing Elizabeth, who's going through that to work on a Brett Ratner set. 
not many. It, people. Yeah, no one, no one's got to care as much. They did a sequel to us in 2018, which I was mentioning earlier. Um, it was more of like sequel reboot. Um, and you'll love this part. It was directed by the guy who did uh, the Evil Dead remake, which you loved. Mm-hmm. And um, Claire Foy was uh, from like you know the Crown was in the role of Elizabeth Slander. And apparently, I haven't seen it, but this movie is has a terrible reputation. I didn't even like, know another movie came out. Exactly. Well, yeah, it bombed at the box office, and like nobody gave a shit. It was just like a sequel that like everyone was like thinking like, shouldn't you just have Rooney Mara back in the role and like everything like that? And it's a, it's like because she's not going to go through it to work with the guy who did the Evil Red Dead remake. Yeah, and like as much as I personally like the Evil Dead remake, when you go from that guy from Fincher to, Fincher that, to guy, that guy, yeah, you're going to get a little bit of a drop off right there. And you know, I think that like it's not as much care. And apparently, from what I've heard, the uh, sequel. That he made this more of like an action movie than this is more of like a this is a thriller. Mystery this thriller. is a yeah. straight mystery thriller. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and when I was saying like I it actually made me want to read the book. I think Fincher does a great job of showing what would be a chapter of a book. Um, especially when Craig gets to the the cottage and starts filing through and just the way that he's pouring over. Cause a lot of this movie is just like staring at maps and book words and books. And like running through it or like a computer screen like that. That's mostly what this like a lot of the visuals of this movie takes up. And Fincher finds a way to just make it compelling. And it's it's not surprising at all. Um, just the way he's able to pace it like I, from my, you know, stories of him or just in terms of his meticulous attention to detail on mm. set. It's like he knows he sees the vision and he has it and you just fully put your trust into him it's uh, very he's very kubrickian in that way where he also does like 100 takes uh for yeah. um, his movies and stuff like that some actors definitely couldn't go through that but pretty much you break through your actors to the point where they get the central performance that he needs right there um so it must have been tough at this point i mean some people definitely don't like that style i mean like jake Hall apparently in zodiac hated the fucking fact that he had to go through all these takes and i get it i'd be fucking part of this too as an actor i was like i'm doing this again god fuck damn it <laughs> Yeah, you know, you you hate it jarring, but then when you see the final result and you remember all the other takes, you probably mm. get it more. Um, yeah. When a film just comes out that's that complete, like, you know, and I, I don't think someone like Rooney Mara for all the hoops she had to jump through just to get this part. And granted, it, it's like it's a breakout role for her at that time, too. So it's not... um. It, it, you know, it's not like she was at the status that of like being a relatively well-known actress at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I think that makes a difference in terms of being like, yes, I'll jump through these hoops. But I think for, for, um, you know, she jumped through all these hoops. What What's a hundred takes really? Yeah. Not that much. I mean, it's um, Fincher was smart in the fact that he cast an A-lister in the role of Michael Blinkist and uh, Daniel Craig. So it's like, okay, then I can go with a more like unknown actress, essentially. Um, yeah. Which Rooney Meyer was. Because um, if it was two A-listers, it would have been like, ah, oh, this is just some random star-driven film. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's it's it was a wise casting decision. Uh, you know, I think we should kind of talk about the mystery of it. So Harriet um, of the... Uh, What's the Venkman? What, what, what is it? Uh, the the Vonger. Vonger family um she died when she was 16 or so we're told and the patriarch of the house played by christopher Plummer, uh henrik has been devastated since then it lost the business right so it brings him on there to investigate and you know he's helped by martin Wenger, uh his nephew who's played by stellan skarsgård let me ask you when you were first introduced to him what what was your take on him because i got it was a mystery so you kind of had to start looking in all the places uh introduce us him yeah i thought that me like this is a little bit creepy right here this guy is uh, a little bit dumb i think See, that fincher isn't interested in the mystery of this i think he's more interested in the procedural aspect of it <laughs> uh i think I think he's a little interested in the mystery of it because I think he's, you know, like, I, I don't think Fincher's dumb. I don't think he would abandon his artistic integrity, but I think he knows, like, okay, Sony's giving me $90 million. Like, there has to be some kind of mystery in this. He was one of, like, the 
he was kind of like the one that I thought it was it was either he did it or she was alive that was kind of my thought and I turned out mm-hmm. to be right yeah uh, kind of in both parts um so as they're unveiling more of these documents it turns out that Martin's father who we were told just died of a drunken accident um was actually killed by Harriet and Harriet killed him because he was sexually abusing her and then Martin took over and started sexually abusing her and then Harriet was smuggled off the island to get away from it and was living in London as her as her cousin uh under a different name and uh you know I think the reveal of Stellan Skarsgård of Martin as the bad guy, if like if you didn't know and it was just this mystery for you, I think comes off really well. Yeah, the, I, the, 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 the reveal the connections is fun. Be, the connections between the pictures and all the other mur- girls that were murdered, really fun. And then, uh, you know, that scene where Craig was investigating the house and, and Martin comes back and then he invite you know he's trying to get away kind of gets caught gets invited back to the house it was so tense it's it's a great scene of just like both characters know that the other character knows and to an extent i mean like and if daniel craig leaves the house it's just like well then i know that you know or something like that so why don't you be polite why don't you take the coffee or whatever it was to drink and and stuff like that yeah that was his perspective and then it brings him down to the his basement where he kills and tortures girls martin does um and, mm-hmm. you know he was taking off his sh- he ripped off his shirt was like untying his pants and he was like huh oh, i've never done this to a man before um but the I... in- the interesting the, the, i think the interesting thing because it's it, it's a it's a killer reveal right like that's yeah this is the killer and then um when Martin goes, so what did you find? What did you find? And Daniel Craig literally is in a a neck brace Mm. hung up by chains with a plastic bag over his face, Uh, really demented stuff, uh, really sick stuff. And saying like, it was you who killed her. And the way he like grabs her and goes, what do you mean? I didn't kill her. I did not kill her. I loved her. And it's like, Oh, there's a lot more to unpack right here. It was, (laughs) it was a great, twist at that moment because after that moment the movie kind of like i felt like rapidly concluded like it, it felt mm-hmm. like after that moment it, it, it was like they kind of shortened the scenes it was almost like the one note he got mm-hmm. from the studio was like this has to be under three hours because it comes in at a whopping 159 minutes that's the runtime of the movie so he got it just under you know it felt like there could have been more to it you you definitely feel a like obviously i mean that twist was like from the novel but you could have easily had an ad- adaptation of this where they're just like well we just simplify this and make stone scars guard the killer the, right here yeah 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 and, well, and well, no i i don't think you can because it's like you're at ad- adapting a really popular book like you can't you have to keep these like plot points like like the main plot points have to be in check like scenes and character interactions that could or couldn't have happened that that nerds of books will you know argue about it's like it's for pacing it's it's when a book has you know five different characters and they kind of get condensed into one in a film adaptation because Mm. like we don't need five different small characters we could just do it with one guy um you know I, i i think that was good also the other movie that i i saw so uh, when Martin is torturing Daniel Craig, he's he's about to kill him. Uh, Elizabeth comes down, whacks him in the face with a golf club, uh, and like the the prosthetics they used to get like the broken jaw was like chilling. But he runs out, he escapes, mm-hmm. um, and Elizabeth chases him on the motorcycle to kill him. He, I loved how she asked uh, Mikhail for permission. He's like, "Do you have permission to kill him?" He's like, "Yeah." Yeah. yeah, after what well, I just went it, through, yeah, yeah, you can kill him. You can kill him if it, you want. It, it's one of those things that, like, you know, Rooney Mara, her character is so asocial and uh, probably neurotypical, to say the least. Um, but, you know, it's almost her just asking, like, hey, like, I'm not sure about the situation. I think that this is a situation where I probably could kill a guy. Can you please just tell me if I'm right in this situation? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, do I have permission right here? Because, like, we, we get the vibe that, like, you know, obviously 
Daniel Craig is really the only person in Rooney Mara's life that has ever shown her like respect and not been like afraid of her or just like, oh, look at this fucking freak and stuff like that. Yeah. And the way he like introduces it, you know, she take because this is right after she had been raped um, or, you know, relatively thereafter. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when he knocks on her door unexpectedly, you know, she goes back in and grabs her taser because she thinks this guy like wants her wants something of her and he's like listen i have a proposition for you if you have no interest i'll leave you'll never hear from me again um you know i i felt like the one thing that like for me that i i didn't love that they hooked up um just me personally uh you know it kind of makes sense in terms of her character um in terms of like effect like well, kind of confusing, I, like a paternal yeah. instinct for like a sexual companion. Uh, but for me, it, like I didn't think the movie needed it. I guess for the ending, but like again, like would have been. I think it would have been fine without it. I I think that the way that um in the movie, it's just like for her sex isn't really just like a way of like showing into intimacy. Like because when she first has sex with Daniel Craig, it's just a pragmatic way of. Help them calm down from you know the fucking bullet that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, and it's not more of like a romantic scene of like, oh yeah, it's just she's like, take your fucking pants off, I'm fucking you right now, and you're dealing with this like, you know, you're gonna fucking calm down, okay? And it's just a way of showing of just like how the character reacts to intimacy. That's not her way of intimacy, and we see the intimacy more and more in later scenes, like when you know they're looking at the computer together, and like he's like call up against her, and she's like, wait, no, put Put your your hand hand back on. Yeah, yeah, put my hand, uh, put your hand back under my shirt and just showing just the way she reacts to intimacy and more so an emotional connection than this. Physically, she does not really react um, in terms of being intimate with someone. Yeah, and, and it, <laughs> it makes sense for me. It was just one of those where I didn't think it added anything. I didn't think the ending added some kind of like metaphor. It was just like, oh, I thought I was he was my boyfriend and he's not so i'm gonna throw away the gift and drive away like that's kind of what i just took it as um and it also but it also i i the one thing i did to see was like she for she did the background check on him so the first thing she says is like well he's been sleeping with his his boss at the at the magazine it ended his marriage not hers um also says a line being like uh you know he sometimes performs kind of lingus but but not enough in my opinion yeah. uh, which was that was a funny line uh but uh you know it was like for, from her perspective he was kind of perfect and didn't realize what his his character defect was which was that he'll, he'll sleep around he doesn't really seem to have a problem with it mm-hmm. um you know, it was one of those things that just, for me, it just, it didn't feel like it added anything, but it was a part of the book and it feels like Fincher probably did a very faithful adaptation. It's one of those things that would have been struck, stripped down in like the PG-13 movie of this, the two, oh, hour, the, the two hour 15 runtime. Oh God, I mean, yeah, you need to really show like the dark, dark edges of this movie because I imagine the Santa Down version would be awful. I mean, um, you know, this is a movie that like, you know, while we do obviously uh like hear about all the terrible stuff and stuff like that fincher doesn't go through like the gratuitous thing of like showing flashbacks of like you know all the different women getting fucking murdered by like, yeah Stone, scars guard or something we don't need that this is just information right here and it's and, just information this is the plot point of what happened like because there are definitely some directors who would have maybe taken pleasure in the flashback of it and just being like oh this will get a reaction this will get a rise out of people and it's like no we don't need that it's just like this is the facts this is the information we'll have some pictures so you can see how gruesome it was but outside of that not gonna really need anything more i am a star i'm a star i'm a star i'm a star i am a big bright shining star tommy who is the star of the girl with the dragon tattoo? Uh, well, it's the girl with the fucking dragon tattoo herself, uh, Rudy Mara. I think yeah. that she is really the character that like sticks with you after this movie. I mean, Daniel Craig is good in this perform- uh, movie, but he doesn't do anything that I haven't really seen him do that much before. 
Yeah, um, it, it, well, you need a straight man, right? You have this. Yeah, exactly. You have this eccentric character who the book is named after you. And just typically in a, like most protagonists in a book, a movie, they're usually a bit of a wet blanket. It's usually the other characters that I, Star Wars is the perfect example. Like Luke Skywalker is good character, but he's your typical hero, right? People yeah. like Han Solo more. They like Darth Vader more. They like Princess Leia more, whatever, right? They have the more eclectic characters. You, you need that. And I think Craig does a great job in that, but yeah, it's, it's a breakout performance for Rooney Mara. It's um, you can tell that she just really embodied and embraced the character. Um, you know, Christopher Plummer was great. Uh, Christopher Plummer was great. Stellan Skarsgård was fantastic. You know, the whole cast was great. It was just, it, you know, she, you have two leads in this movie and it's, it, it's, it has to be one of the two of them. I, I think that Craig was definitely good. I think that, um, like you said, like the wet blanket kind of thing is, makes sense. I mean, apparently George Clooney, Johnny Depp, Viggo Morgensen, and Brad Pitt were all considered I could see for the role I, too. I could see George Clooney. I, I, Brad Pitt is, uh, you know, I, he's a char- he's a great character actor in the uh, in the body of a of a leading man. Uh, yeah, he's too eccentric. Same thing with Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp would be too eccentric. Okay, Viggo yeah. would be too eccentric. Um, this was actually written by the wait. Uh, did guy you say Vigo would be too eccentric? I think he could be. He can no, be no, dude. <laughs> he's like the perfect like. Yeah, okay, we're doing twenty twenty four. I'll watch a Friday the Thirteenth movie on the podcast, <laughs> and we do the theatrical cut of Fellowship of the Ring because you have only seen the extended cut, which is an entirely different movie. And we're watching the theatrical cut of Fellowship. I, I, I guess we want to make it, but uh, you know the Brad Pitt connection. This was written by the guy who also wrote uh, Moneyball. Um, the script uh, that is. Oh, yeah, that yeah. The, like the adaption. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, with that, but yeah, it, it's Rooney Mara, absolutely. Yeah. And we, we didn't touch upon we didn't touch upon Christopher Plummer too much, but I mean, like, it's amazing to think that he him and he was good in this movie. He uh, definitely did his role, but it's just amazing to think about how insane. I think his like most notable decade was probably the last decade of his life in terms of a perform uh, performing as an actor uh, for people our age, yeah. But like... well, not not even that. But I mean, like obviously, um, you know, sound and music is very like and stuff like that, and you know, iconic. Yeah, like John Barrymore. Yeah, to say the least. And like you know, but the fact that he, he was in a really Scott movie, he was on like, fucking this movie, he was in Knives Out and all this stuff. He has probably the best like last decade of like performance of any actor i'd say you know in your elderly stage (laughs) yeah and i i you know i i think it's hard to sometimes say what is or what isn't big because you know for like most of these movies like this is a great movie 50 years Mm -hmm. from now tommy this is gonna be a movie that like nerds like us around our age are going to like shuffle up and be like wow this is a great movie i didn't even know this exists you know because it's not going to be on a top 10 of the decade list that that people go down um it's uh and it's that like that's just the the truth of the situation here uh that Mm -hmm. i i feel like that's it's not fair to say that it's not because like i'm looking at his credits here and he's just he's in a lot of movies and it's like the way star power works is you either have it or you and you lose it or you have it and you keep it. So I, I feel like you're kind of discrediting work that we haven't seen, whether or not it is good or not. That's true. To be fair, I haven't seen a lot of his uh, stuff, but I think overall, I, I, when you just take a, that whole decade run. It's a good decade I can't, run. I, 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 can't, I can't think of another actor in his 80s that had a better run. <laughs> it's a good, listen, it's a good run. Maybe De Niro. Maybe De Niro. Yeah, could, could it be up there? The I, the I, say what you will, say what you will about the Nero. It's been leading performances. Plummer has been side character. Yeah, you know, you have the Irishman, you have the Killers of the Flower Moon, and you also have the War of Grandpa <laughs> and Bad Grandpa. Well, yeah, well, De Niro has <laughs> De Niro has a lot of bad investments, and you can tell by his filmography post Meet the Parents uh, that he's uh, a lot of them were just kind of paychecks for him you know but he the killers and the irishmen show you he he can still he can still bring it are you ready for the shortest muppet segment we've ever done 
Are you ready, comedy partner? Waka waka. Tommy, would the girl with the dragon tattoo work as a Muppet movie? No. Oh, uh, no. But, 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 I will say this. I do remember the time I did look up this on YouTube. Uh, this movie came out the same year that the Muppets uh, Jason Siegel movie came out. And they did do a parody trailer of uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo in the marketing of this movie, <laughs> of that movie. So mm-hmm. there is a little, little bit of thing where, like, I don't know, I could see, like, a quick, like, p- very G-rated uh, parody of Miss Piggy and, like, a fucking mohawk or something like that. That'd be fucking hilarious. But this movie's way too dark for uh, a straight Muppet adaptation. This ain't Muppet, <laughs> Disney, I'm on your side here. This ain't Muppet adaptation material here. Uh, yeah. Please hire us. Um, review time, Tommy. Give us your score out of five. So I think this is a really engaging movie. Um, you know, it, like he says, three hours, but didn't really feel it. Um, I think Rooney Mara just gives an amazing performance right here. Daniel Craig is fun in this movie. Um, and it just really envelops you in its world. Um, I'm going to go four out of five. Uh, this is a fun first watch. And I feel like I could definitely rewatch this again. It definitely so. feels like a movie that's going to have more to it on a rewatch. I'm all, I'm echoing your sentiments four to five. Just great movie definitely one that i could even see like increase on a rewatch where just more and more of the details kind of stick in your face um you know venture is a master for a reason and uh you just fully see this on display here in a three-hour epic um yeah you know it's crazy too because like i was kind of like all right it's time to move on because we'd like to keep the podcast under an hour and I was like, I feel like there's still so much we didn't even talk about in this movie. Like, yeah. I think that's the crazy thing about about it is like, like we talked for we talked for 50 minutes about this movie, and I feel like we kind of just shoveled under the surface there. Like, yeah, we like we, didn't, we, didn't even break it down. Uh, definitely watch this movie. Uh, yeah, just note that there will be some visceral stuff that you'll have to watch. That's fine, but. Mm um it's it's important it's important stuff it's not there just to to surprise it, you or shock jock you yeah it's not gratuitous in any way <laughs> well i would say the rape sequence is a little gratuitous but like any rape it is you know but uh uh but yeah tommy any final thoughts before we wrap it up uh, so thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, you can follow us on social media. Um, that's at Scenic Pod. Um, that's on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and occasionally Threads. Um, you still do that? Still, I, I think I haven't posted in a couple of weeks, but you know, uh, we'll, time, we'll see what it is. Ta- it's time. To I, I think I think it's time to retire to the Threads. But uh, anyways, I told you that. Five- I told you that when you started this a couple of months ago. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, uh, leave us a five-star review. Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast really helps us out. And uh, being on the lookout, uh, I guested on a couple podcasts recently, Film versus Film. I talked about The Exorcist Believer and uh, Film Trace. Uh, I end up uh, talking about Mad Max Free Road and The Purge, a movie that is all about the concept and the movie itself sucks. But anyways, be on the lookout for those two. So thank you guys so much for listening. And Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you next week.